So the big question is this. How do most agents who don't have access to the secrets that the top agents hoard to themselves grow and prosper in today's real estate environment? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Pat Hyben, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. And now, for the review of the day. All right, I got some Amazon uh, reviews for Six Steps to Seven Figures. You got one from Hip Kitty One. Uh, Hip Kitty One, a verified purchase. That means she did, in fact, buy it, which is important on these reviews. Uh, this book is filled with practical advice and encouragement. And I love Pat's honesty and him sharing his outlook on life with us as well. That came from Hip Kitty One. Thank you, Hip Kitty One. Six Steps to Seven Figures, where all books are sold online. Very good. Keep the comments coming, guys. I love them. And remember, I eat feedback for breakfast. So give me a one-star review if you want, or a five-star review if you want. I don't care. And the more reviews we get, the better guests we get. So please, subscribe first, and then leave us a review or wherever you're listening. This episode is brought to you in full by Rebus University, the future of real estate training. Go now to www.rebusuniversity.com and use the coupon code ROCK for 20% off your first course. Double your commissions now with Rebus University. Okay, Rockstar Nation, I have a great guest today. You know, I hired my first salesperson over at Rebus University, and she went to New York City to Inman, met a lot of independent brokers, and has a lot of uh, um, price, uh, price estimates going back and forth as we speak now uh, as a result of her being at Inman with regards to Rebus University. But she met this guy, Joe Rand, and she said, Pat, you need to get Joe on your show. He had a speech about the value of the real estate agent and what real estate agents need to do today um, to compete. And uh, it, he knocked it out of the park. Everybody there gave him rave reviews. You ought to have him come on the show and, and talk about the same subject. So, uh, Joe, uh, being a solid guy that he is, agreed to do that. And not only that, but it is snowing and sleeting in New York today. And his entire office went home, but he stayed so that he could do this show. So, Joe, I really, I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for coming on. It's really a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me, Pat. It's really great. Why don't you uh, tell everybody a little bit about yourself, Joe, so they can get to know you better. Uh, I've been in the business about 20 years, although I got my license when I was 18 and then had another career as a lawyer and a law professor for a while. But I've been doing this since about 2000 uh, and uh, full time uh, for a company called Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate, ran realty in New York and New Jersey. Uh, I'm the chief creative officer and I run the training program and I've designed uh, uh, a lot of the material marketing and things that we use. Uh, and recently, I guess one of the reasons that uh, your salesperson uh, 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 was talking to me is that I just published a book called uh, Disruptors, Discounters, and Doubters, uh, which is available anywhere books are sold that uh, talks about what we need to do as an industry to overcome the challenges that we're facing. 
I love it. I love it. And okay, so how many agents do you guys have there in New York and New Jersey? We have about a thousand agents, about twenty-eight offices. We last year we did about two point three billion in uh, in residential volume. Wow! So that's no joke. And and you are the chief creative officer. What does that mean? Uh, it's a title I gave myself because my brother got to be CEO. So he gets to be chief executive officer. I was going to give myself a title I like. But basically what I've decided, what I've discovered after a long time is that I'm not good at managing people. What I'm good at doing is creating stuff. So I just gave myself a title that reflects what I actually like to do for a living. So I come into the office and a really good day is when I create stuff like create a podcast with you uh, talking about uh, issues facing there. If I write pages in the book, that's a great day. If I create a marketing piece, that's a great day. It's a bad day when I spend uh, time running the legal affairs of the company, which I also do because I'm also the lawyer for the company. That's always a bad day. Good days when I get to <laughs> That's funny. All right, cool. So let's let's jump right into it. So disruptors, uh, yeah. discounters, and doubters, the three Ds. Um, let, let's tackle this. Um, first of all, let's define this. What, what do you define today as a disruptor in the real estate sales business? I think, I think what the classic definition of disruptor is someone who tries to come into an industry and shake up the existing um, institutional um, uh, competitors that are there, the, the ones who are um, incumbents. Uh, I, I defined it in the book. I said the way to really think about it is that it's that old um, phrase that you, you see sometimes it's called the project manage management triangle where you can get it uh, uh, fast, good, or cheap and pick any two, fast, good, or cheap. You can get it fast and good. It won't be cheap. Fast and cheap won't be good. Good and cheap, it won't be fast. And I think that what disruptors see is that in our industry, we're not that fast, we're not that cheap, and oftentimes, unfortunately, we're not that good. So they're seeing that, you know, you, you don't get two out of three, you may not even get one out of three with this industry. And so they're looking, they're saying, how can we do it better? And how can we replace the incumbent industry the way it works and do it better, faster, cheaper, um, uh, better, faster, and cheaper? And that's what they're trying to do. And, and some of them are starting to gain some traction. So we have to up our game, I think, as an industry. Wow, this that's great, and and so let's dig deep a little. So, give me some examples of how, you know, agents out there, right, brokerages yeah. out there, are no longer, you know, meeting two of two out of three of the triangle. Well, I think I think one of the things that, that comes out, and I spent a lot of time talking about this in the book, is the real estate transaction is still takes too long, is too complicated, um, is too messy, is too frustrating, and a lot of that. The unfortunate part is a lot of that. It's not really our fault. I mean, a lot of that is based on how difficult the mortgage is, how difficult it is to get into contract or issues that come up with title. But, you know, when you're the one who runs that project and you're the, you're the person that started working with that client, the minute they start looking for the house, they start trying to sell the house, you're supposed to quarterback that whole process. And if that process goes awry, you're going to get blamed. And so we need to do a better job with the transaction um, of making it better for our clients, which means we need to we need to get on some of these institutional partners we have in mortgage title uh, and some other areas. Um, so that's one big thing I think that we're falling down on. Um, but I also look, you know, the stuff that we have more control over. Um, you know, we have agents that are still going into people's living rooms, like sellers. They're going into a seller's living room to try to list that home, and they're trying to sell a value package that's twenty years out of date. Mm. And when they talk about marketing, uh, you know, it's all about marketing, you know? So the thing is, 
the agent's presentation becomes all about marketing. It's this laundry list of marketing things that the agent does. I'm going to get it on Zillow. I'm going to get it on Trulia.com. I'm going to take pictures. I'm going to put it out on direct mail. I'm going to offer an MLS. All the other brokers are going to show it. I have a website. But marketing is the, is the one thing that agents do that's really easy to replicate at scale. That I can be a discount broker, charge $500. I can hire a photographer for 100 bucks, take pictures. I can hire somebody in, in Bangladesh to write a description who knows how to speak English and can write a couple of paragraphs about the property. Uh, and for virtually nothing, I can join MLS and get the property distributed through Zillow and Truly and everything like that. The idea of marketing distribution used to be a big deal. Like my company, we spent a lot of money 10, 12 years ago so that all of our listings showed up on Zillow, showed up on Truly. We had to distribute them ourselves. But now it's done through MLS, which means that everybody's got it. It's undifferentiated, and it's very easy to replicate without spending a lot of money. So agents that go in and make that the cornerstone of their value package, they're missing, they're missing it. That's not what we do anymore. It's what we did 10, 15, 20 years ago, but it's not why somebody should hire us. Marketing is important, but we should be talking about marketing differently, and we should be talking about all the other different services that agents provide their sellers, and not even getting into buyers, but that agents provide their sellers that they that from the very beginning of the process to the end of the process. And we don't emphasize that enough. Well, what would be the most important one, let's say? I'll tell you, the most important service that we don't talk about at the appointment is transaction management. It's one of the most important things that agents do. They get that client from accepted offer to closing. They shepherd that deal through all the different problems that might come up. They make sure they keep it on even keel. They stay on top of all the transactional partners. They, they help fix problems if there's a problem with the title. That's something that sellers don't even really understand going in, how complicated the process can be. But we know how tough the transaction is, so we know how much, how much work that is. And that's the thing we never talk about. But I will tell you the thing that we sometimes talk about but we're not doing enough of mm -hmm. uh, is staging. Staging, for some reason, has become something that the average agent with the average property does it either doesn't do or, or delegate. And the same out. thing with transaction yeah. management. I mean, you could, most agents now just, you know, a transaction manager, you go online, get one for 200 bucks or 500 bucks, or, 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 or a lot of companies are talking about just having this huge hub of transaction management uh, and, and, and have all the agents just running around like ants uh, out, outside of that hub. How do you sell to a seller? as part of your value proposition, things that are outsourced like transaction management and like staging. What do you do? Well, you shouldn't be outsourcing transaction management. I mean, I think there's, it's one thing to say that the, there's going to be somebody who's going to designate that's going to receive all the calls and be the person that, that handles kind of the administrative role. But transaction management's more than that. I mean, somebody's got to get on the phone and yell at people. That should be the agent. And that's really what the agent's responsibility is. Um, and that, that, I mean, I don't see why that should be. We can delegate everything out. You can delegate out pricing. Sure. And, 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 and certainly tons of agents come on this show and do delegate everything. And I've had agents coming on now, been in business two years, have never touched a buyer or seller and are selling hundreds of houses a year. So what, well, so, you know, uh, talk to me about that. I, well, listen, there's different business models. There are agents that all they do is rain make. And so they've got a team that's going to handle the rest of the transaction. I think that's fine. I think, if it's you or if it's your team or it's your broker, or you figured out a way to make it an assembly line that there's different people handling different specialized tasks. I think that's great. If you're specializing, you've got, and all you do is rain make. I think that's great. I think that's a very high level agent. I do think though that we've got what 
1.2 million members of the National Association yeah. of Realtors. And my guess is that 95% of them handle that transaction from the very beginning of the transaction to the end. As a member of the Rockstar Nation, you may have noticed that every guest that comes on the show now is required to bring with them a free tool, an item of utility that real estate agents can use to drastically increase their sales and profits. Some of the things that have been brought have been ebooks, forms, reports, negotiating techniques, hiring guides, postcards, checklists, open house secrets newsletters that are sent out sphere of influence forms referral request forms and the list goes on and on if you would like to get this free toolbox full of items of utility simply go to hybendigital.com backslash toolbox that's hybendigital.com backslash toolbox or simply text toolbox to 444-999 that's toolbox to 444-999 Yes. Um, and, and I'm speaking to those people because, you know, I'm trying to Got sell it. books. So I'm, I'd rather sell books to the 1.2 million than the. No, I agree with you. And that, and that, and that's kind of how it is. Like I, I used to have all top producers on my show and, you know, I kept getting comments from people like, Hey, I just got my license or I've been in business two years or, or, you know, I've been in business 20 years, but I only sell 35 houses a year and I don't really have a desire to sell 700. Um, and so I started having more balanced guests on. Um, that were doing new and different things that people hadn't heard of before. Yeah. And, I, and, and listenership shot through the roof. So, I, Listen, I agree. If you've, got, if you've got these people who have these big agent teams and they've created someone who's the designated listing specialist who's going to handle all the listings and somebody who's going to do all the showings and somebody else who's going to manage the transactions and they train those people, I think that's the best experience that a client can have is that there's a team that's working as a cohesive unit. I don't call that delegating. Yeah, I call that that you've got. Well, it is delegating, but it's delegating within an internal structure. When I think of delegating, I think of what happens when an agent doesn't want to do staging because they don't think they're qualified to do it. So they bring in somebody from the outside, and that person's going to charge the client five hundred dollars for initial consultation. I don't see why agents should not be capable of doing staging. First of all, I think that almost every home needs some sort of property maintenance um, uh, makeover that almost every property that's for sale could look better, could pop more. And for some reason, we've gotten into our head that, um, that only high-end properties need staging, that it can only be done by specialists who know how to have a decorating eye, uh, that in, ran, ran, you know, the individual agent can't do it. And that's just not true. I mean, every property needs it. And I think every agent is capable of providing 90% of what a stager does, which is cleaning, decluttering, depersonalizing. You know, yeah. Do you need a decorator's eye to do the staging stuff that involves, you know, mixing textures and colors and elevating eye levels and things like that? Yeah, sure. But you don't need to have a decorator. You don't need to be an interior decorator or have a, a design degree to know that you got to clear the cobwebs out of the front of the stoop or that there shouldn't be 14 um, uh, different things on the kitchen counter. That you should clear everything out. You should make it neat. You should, it shouldn't be dirty. It shouldn't be cluttered. It shouldn't be messy. It shouldn't have religious iconography everywhere that's going to be off-putting to the average buyer coming in. That's stuff that's within the ken of an average real estate agent, and yet we don't do it because we either feel it should be delegated, it's only in the high end, or 
agents haven't been trained how to do it and they haven't been trained how to have that conversation with the seller to convince the seller why it needs to be done. And that's, yeah, that's I, I, I mean, I see what you mean by, you know, um, taking it back to the days of, of, you know, I started in real estate in 1987. And when I started, you know, I was taught how to qualify buyers, right? As an agent, you know, we had to learn ratios and we had to learn, you know, how to figure yep. out closing costs and, and all that stuff on our own. Now it's unheard of that an agent knows that, right? You know, yep. ask them what, the, what ratios are qualified and how to qualify. By. So I think it kind of goes in that same realm is what you're saying is you don't need to go that far back, but you need to go back where you're having a much more of a heart-to-heart -heart relationship, a much more emotional connection, a much more service relationship where you're picking up the phone instantly when the person calls and calling them constantly and even showing up yep. at their house on a regular basis uh, than the opposite, which is delegate everything and never be seen again. Is that what yeah. you're saying? Well, I think that I think the the delegate. I don't want to get too far on the track of the delegation thing because I think that's a minor part of what okay. most agents All do. Right, most cool. agents do it. They just don't do it that well. I mean, most agents are doing everything from soup to nuts on a real estate transaction. They don't delegate out much other than staging, which they don't really delegate because they only delegate it when they have a high end home that needs it and the sellers want to pay for it. Most of the time, they just don't do it. I mean, here's the thing. What we need to do better as an industry is we need to focus on what clients need from us, that we are too focused on ourselves. We're not focused enough on clients. We provide cookie cutter services that are not custom designed to what that client particularly needs. Um, you know, put it this way, and this is the example I always use. Yeah. We are, we are always focused sense. from the perspective of, we're always focused on the perspective of how can we sell somebody something in the short term, not about how can we create a relationship that might lead to long-term uh, long rewards all the way through our career. Mm -hmm. And here's an example. We have known for years that sellers were always curious about how much their home is worth. We, going back 25, 30 years, we knew that was something sellers wanted to know. And so in order to address that need, what we did is we put on all our business cards and put on all our ads, call me for a free CMA. The idea right. was, hey, listen, yeah. you want to know? Call me. And really what it was, was it was a come on. It was a it was a lure to get somebody to give us Absolutely. a call. So we could go it was a, a worm on a hook. It was a worm on a hook to go in and do a listing presentation. It was, it was just like those free trips that in, up here at the Poconos. They give you a free trip to the Poconos <laughs> and you have to sit through a four-hour timeshare. I don't yeah. know what they have. Maybe Hilton Head. Ten albums for one cent. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so we treated that need, that a, that a seller needs, a home, not a seller, a homeowner needs to know what their home is worth. We treated that as an opportunity to try to make a listing presentation, try to get a sale. And what happened? Zillow happened. Talk about disruption. Zillow comes up with a system that answers the question for free. Click on a button, find out how much your home is worth. Now, it was imperfect. The, the estimate accuracy was terrible. It's gotten better. It's still not that great. It's still not as good as an agent actually putting eyeballs on a home. But you know what? I can get it without having to sit through an hour-long presentation of a 28-point marketing plan that the agent wants to give me. I can actually just get it. So we didn't satisfy the need. Zillow satisfied the need and they built a $10 billion company that they fuel that the revenue and the value comes out of us. Talk about a missed opportunity. Right. You know? we so missed what do we do about it? Well, I think we have to stop it from happening the next time. There's other needs that sell. How's it, okay. So how's it going to happen next? I mean, that's a great example, right? We missed out. Zillow jumped in, right? Everything's public. You know, the price, an agent bringing over a price is not a big freaking deal anymore, right? And, and uh, nope. contrary to what the agents want to believe, 
that Zestimate is getting closer and closer and closer. Yep. So, yep. so what do we do about it? Well, how do we not let that disruption happen again for a one-two punch? Well, we've let it happen again and again. We let it happen with Angie's List. Angie's List and Home whatever Advisor, they, that was the role we used to have. We used to be the person that, would, that a homeowner would call to say, I gave that one. So I do not give the next one. You give the next one by focusing more extensively and more creatively on what clients might need going forward. What do our clients need? What, what information we, can we give to them? Because you know, if you can establish a relationship with them, if you can be their realtor, even when they're not buying or selling a piece of property, just, I want to be a realtor. You know, you're, yeah. I meet you at a party. Like, said, like be there, Angie's List. Be there, person yeah. that they be call there. and say, hey, who do I need? Who, who's a good, you know. Be the person they call my house. They're thinking of putting in a, a pool. They want to know how to fix property values. They should be calling us. And they don't because our focus is not on people who aren't buying or selling. We only focus on people who are buying or selling in the near future. In fact, we have our whole lead generation methodology is designed to screen out when do you plan on moving? Oh, soon? Okay, great. I'll talk to you. Oh, not for a while? Goodbye. Right, yeah. As a member of the Rockstar Nation, you may have noticed that every guest that comes on the show now is required to bring with them a free tool, an item of utility that real estate agents can use to drastically increase their sales and profits. Some of the things that have been brought have been ebooks, forms, reports, negotiating techniques, hiring guides, postcards, checklists, open house secrets, newsletters that are sent out, sphere of influence forms, referral request forms, and the list goes on and on. If you would like to get this free toolbox full of items of utility, simply go to hybendigital.com backslash toolbox. That's hybendigital.com backslash toolbox or simply text toolbox to 444-999. That's toolbox to 444-999. You know, someone comes to our open house, we, we ask, we have a qualifying question, you know, oh, are you looking for a new home? Oh, no, I just live in the neighborhood. I want to see what the, what the, how they did the interior design. And we shine them off. They're looky-loos. They're nosy neighbors. We're not interested in them because they're not buying or selling right now. Well, mm-hmm. what I try to teach people to do is say, listen, this person that came to your open house lives in the neighborhood. They own a house. They might not be selling this year or next year, but they might sell, I mean, average five to seven years. 10 years? How long are you going to be in the business? You're going to be in the business for the next 10 years? Well, why not establish a relationship with them today? Maintain that relationship cheaply through internet marketing, social media marketing, something that costs you a couple of bucks a year to maintain a connection to them. Position yourself as their source of real estate information such that when they do sell five years from now, the natural thing for them to do is not to click on a find out more button on a website. It's not to go on Zillow and, and click one of the floating heads. It's to call that agent that's been sending them emails for the last five years that are interesting, they're informative. The person they called when they were thinking of putting in uh, a new kitchen and they want to know how much, let's call that realtor, let's ask him his opinion. You know, that's how we should be positioning ourselves as somebody's real estate agent all the time. You know, it drives me crazy that if I were to stop somebody on the street and say, who's your lawyer? They probably have a name. Who's your dentist? They have a name. Who's your hairstylist? They, they have a name. Not people like me and you, but women. They always have a name. Yeah, right, sure. They have a name. I say to them, who's your realtor? They don't have a name. 
Why? Unless they're buying or selling, they don't have a name because they don't think of them. Mm. They think of real estate agents as transactional, not right. relational. And we exactly. need to be relational, not transactional. But why should they think about us when they're not buying or selling if we don't think about them unless they're buying or selling, right? I love that's it. My, that's love my it. point. I love it. I love it. And then you got discounters and doubters. And I guess discounters fall into the same realm as disruptors and that, you know, um, if, if you got to prove your value to them so that they don't look out there and want just to base a transaction on a, on, on a fee, right? Yep. And yep. then doubters. I mean, what is doubters? What's that about? The doubters are the people inside the industry who run screaming and are terrified of every disruptive innovation. That they're the ones who, when Zillow came out with their instant offer program, that mm. agents were like, that 20,000 of them signed a petition. <laughs> yeah, to say, you have to stop them. I mean, like, guys, you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe in your industry. You have to believe in your value. So stop doubting yourself. So I have a whole chapter in there about doubters. And I use as an example, an agent of mine who years ago, she tried to FISBO her own house. You know, she put a FISBO Ooh. sign in front of it. And so, of course, she fired got like in about a minute, we did fire yeah. her. We fired Good. her because she did not. Now, here's the thing. What she said to me, she says, listen, I know how to sell a house. I'm an experienced agent. I've done this a lot of times. I know I can do it. And um, uh, I don't need another agent to help me through it. And I said to her, you don't get it. It's not about the stuff you do. It's about getting that listing into the stream of commerce that the cooperating broker system provides you that you want to get the most money for your home. You need to be with in a system that allows it to be exposed to the largest number of buyers, not to just the people who happen to be looking for FISBOs. You want every buyer agent working aggressively to sell your home. And she just didn't believe. She thought that she would save money by selling it on her own. And quite honestly, if you believe that sellers do a be have a better experience and get a better price selling it on their own than they do through a real estate agent, then you really shouldn't be in the business. So, I mean, she, I think she's still in the business, but not with us. Um, I mean, that's the epitome of false prophecy, right? I mean, you're, you're, how, can you, uh, how can you preach something? How can you convince other people? They don't believe. You don't do it yourself. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I under, listen, I understood where she was coming from, the idea that she can do the work she doesn't. I'm like, okay, so don't hire an agent on the list side. But you got to put in some less and offer out of a cooperating broker. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Take care You're not going to do it for, like, for example, 5%, but you got to put it out there for two and a half. Um, and you know, for the buy side, because you have to believe in the fact that the system, and I talk about this in the, in the section on doubters, that the one thing that real estate agents have done that our industry has done very well is that homes in Rockland County, New York and Westchester County, New York and Bergen County, New Jersey, where I have offices are down in North Carolina is where you are. I'm in South Carolina today South Carolina. Back, okay. here in Maryland. I'm, I'm okay. from Maryland. So homes in South Carolina and Charleston. What homes sell for in Charleston is exactly what they're worth because yeah. we have created a market in this industry where everybody's got transparent information. Every seller knows what other homes have sold for. Every buyer knows what other homes have sold for. And any buyer can go to any agent and see any home in that market. And every buyer agent can show every property on the market. Um, and that creates a very fluid market that keeps it very easy. Compare that to what it's like when you buy a car. You buy a car, you never know what other people have paid for a car. You have to go to dealer after dealer because the, you know, the Mazda dealer can't sell you a Ford and the Infiniti dealer can't sell you a Lexus. You have to go to all those different dealers. And every time you step on a lot, nobody's on your side because there's no cooperating broker commission being paid to a, a buyer agent for cars. So buying a car is much more stressful from that perspective. Buying a home is fun. 
people love buying a home up to the point they have to get a mortgage. The part that we handle is great. It's like shopping. People love shopping. It's once we hand them off to the, to the lender that it becomes a big mess. Um, so it's, and it's easier than buying a car because you've got someone to take you around. They can show you all the property. They represent you. They get information for you. You get these reams of paper that tells you what every home on the market is sold for. So you can position your offer accordingly. You never get taken. Nobody gets taken advantage of. And that's what, that's like one of the most important things we have to convey to sellers, which is that you're never going to trick a buyer. The buyer knows where the house down the block sold for. It's, it's, it's not a secret. It's public information. So you're not going right. to put one over on them. Right. Right. What do, you, what do you think of these doubters that, that are thinking, hey, you know, we don't need, we're not going to need bricks and mortar anymore. It's a, real estate is going to be like a lawyer's office or a accountant office where mainly we'll just need little offices here and there, but no training rooms and no, no area to socialize, things like that. Well, I, mean, I think that I, I agree to the extent that our industry needs to become more efficient. And as a broker, we need to become more efficient, that we are on a mission as a broker to try to limit our bricks and mortar, try to limit our facility costs. Because you know what? The way I look at it as a broker is that every dollar that comes into the company goes into one of three buckets, right? You got bucket one, that goes to expenses. Bucket two, well, let's say bucket one is agent dollar, agent compensation, which is the biggest bucket. Second sure. biggest bucket is the expenses. And then there's this little tiny bucket, which is what's left over that goes to the broker profit. <laughs> profit. Yeah, and that's, right. I mean, that's really because, you know, the average broker is running between three and a good one gets 6% profit margin. Uh, you can go down to zero or even below uh, and, and, and not make any money. And I'm not crying oh, yeah, about that. Just yeah. to the point that the agents who are getting, you know, on average 70 to 75 to 80% of the, of the dollar that comes in goes right to the agent. They might have their own expenses, but go, and the rest goes to facilities. Well, what I try to do is always think about it from the perspective of every dollar I can take out of the middle bucket, the expenses, I can put a little bit in the agent's pocket. I can put a little bit in my pocket. And you know what? The agents will always, they always value their split more than they value almost anything that you can give them um, in terms of office space and things like that. So if you give them a choice, you can have a private office, you can have five points on your split, they take the five points on the split and they'll work from their basement. Okay, that's, so that's interesting. Yeah. We need to get more efficient from that perspective. And I, I do believe that one of the things that brokerages need to get away from is this retail model that we need to be in every town. You need to be in every little area. Like you said, a law firm. And I think that's actually a good analogy because like I was just at a law office today and doing the, the bad part of my job, the part of my job I hate, which is running the legal affairs of the company. I had a mediation. I had a coach. <laughs> so I went to this office. This guy's got an office in one town and he services three counties from that one 4,000 square foot office space. He's got 50 attorneys working there. And they just run the whole area. He doesn't need to be in every little town because people, when they have legal problems, they don't think of it as like, I can only go to the local person. They go to somebody. I think we need to be think more regionally as brokers because I think that agents would rather have space they can work in and space they can park at. Like these retail offices that are in these little towns, quaint villages where you got a thousand square feet and you have no parking and the agents, you know, they never come to the office because they never find a place to park. And they come in, they don't have a place to work. They meet their clients at coffee shops because they can't meet them in the office. Why do we have those? Those showcase offices, they're just costing money. And I'd rather put it in the agent's pocket than put it in a landlord's pocket. Right. Um, it doesn't make sense unless you're in like a beach town where people are walking down a boardwalk and they're going to yes. look in the window and see like these brochures of houses to buy. Otherwise, you, you know, you could be on the 15th floor of an office. It shouldn't matter. The accountants are be, like that. Lawyers are that like. 
I'd rather have 4,000 square feet on the, on the 10th floor of an office park, executive boulevard somewhere, central to a highway in a county, and service the whole county from there than have four offices of 1,000 square feet in little tiny towns that are dotting the villages. Because then I can have everybody in one place. I can have a little bit more control over the system. And, and we have. I mean, listen, we got 25 offices. We don't have 25 counties. So, like, we've got, you know, more offices than I wish we had. But that's been the way we've developed. But I think what it, what it comes down to is the, the, we need to reduce, if we can reduce the cost, we can make it better. We can, we can be more competitive generally. And I think that thinking that you need to be on site, I mean, God forbid, you said before about being in these beach towns. The worst thing I ever hear is, oh, we got to walk in today. Because I know if we get one <laughs> day walk in, that walk in, they'll be talking about that walk in for five years. I won't be like, well, we got walk ins here. I'm like, I want you to go over the deal list from this <laughs> office for the last five years, and I want to be the source of every deal. There's going to be one walk-in. It was a rental. It was a thousand dollars, but remember forever, and we can't possibly move out. And the guy was lost. Village, yeah. We can't move out of here because we get walk-ins. Like we have visibility. You know what? You don't need visibility on the street. You need visibility on the web. Better to put that money into online marketing. So whenever somebody searches for, let's say, my hometown, Nyack, New York. They search for Nyack, New York. They see your, your marketing information showing up on that first page is much more important than them seeing a sign when they drive down Broadway. That's much more important. And, and it's a lot cheaper you know, that for me to, to have dominant online Google presence than it is for me to pay somebody at 25 bucks a square foot to have 1,000 a thousand square feet of office space. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and agents are funny. You know, I remember they, they, they still to this day, they worry about their address or their zip code on their business card. And I'm like, nobody puts their address on their business card. Anything, right? <laughs> yes, they do. Mail you something. You're never going to get it. You know what I mean? Yep. Gonna, I mean, no, I, know, like, you know, where's your I know that more than anybody because I just mailed out about 100 books um, to people that I know <laughs> from the industry. And trying to find their mailing addresses was like, I mean, this is impossible. I had, a, I had to email about 25 of them because their, email, their mailing addresses were nowhere to be found on any of their material that was available online. So I had to email them and say, listen, what's your mailing address? Which kind of spoiled the surprise of sending them the book, right? I mean, they know I'm mailing them something. Um, I think you made a good point how, you're, how the, the ego goes out the window when you start talking money. Like you say, okay, would you rather be in an office with bathrooms that you don't have to go out in the hallway in and, and a big coffee bar with an espresso machine and, and socialize or would you you know would you rather have office i mean bathrooms right there and these cool little coffee bars and kitchens and stuff or would you rather have five percent more in your split they'll take the split every time they'll take the split every time you know i actually have a rule that i talked about this at him a couple of years ago and i think this might actually be in the in the appendix to the book that i talk about this and i say listen you, you take it out of the, the middle bucket, you put it in the agent bucket, you put it in your bucket. Either way, you split it up fairly so you make a little bit more profit and they make a little bit more split and you reduce your costs, which is good for everybody. Besides yeah, and reduce your liability, right? And reduce so your liability. And hit, you're not any, screwed. And, and one of the watchwords to that is that, and we did this at our company. I mean, we raised splits significantly a couple of years ago because we had to. Um, and we eliminated services that the agents didn't value. And we really, we did surveys. We sat down with agents. We did focus groups. And we tried to find out what things do they value and what do they not value. And our watchword was, if they don't value it, it and it costs us money, it's gone. Because I'm not going to spend money on things that they don't think are valuable. I'd rather give them the money or keep the money myself. A except in one case. There were things that they didn't necessarily value that I valued and that I thought was necessary. Like, if you give them a choice, 
we have somebody who's full-time compliance officer. If I gave them a choice, do we need to pay this compliance officer or do you want three points on your split? They'll take three points on their split all the time. <laughs> but I need that compliance officer because I know that in the long run, that compliance officer is going to keep us out of trouble, yeah. save yeah. us money in the long run. It's better. It's a better service experience. So like a lot of them, they would give up stuff that I think they'd be making a mistake by giving up. And so that's when I have to exercise a certain amount of judgment and discretion in what I have to keep in there. But if I can skinny it down as much as possible, that's what I'm trying to do. And I think that that's what brokers need to do to be able to be competitive in markets where you have discounters coming in, doing it for $500. You have companies coming in that are that will take agents for you know uh, a couple hundred bucks a month, a couple hundred bucks a transaction that the broker's really not providing. They've skinnied down the services to be virtually nothing. Um, and they're charging agents. Basically, they're, they're, they're becoming the agent's landlord, not the agent's broker. And that, I think goes a little too far because I think that brokers do have, I mean, I say this, I'm self-interested, right? I'm a broker, but I, I, I see brokers as having a role as partners with their agents and if they provide value, they're, they're entitled to collect some of that commission dollar to pay for their expenses and to pay for the, what they bring to the table. There are some agents that have left our company that they didn't value the stuff that we provide to them and I wish them well. Um, and there are agents that we've pulled out of companies that, you know, give them hundred percent, charge them a transaction fee because they felt that their career was stalled and they needed somebody to partner with them. And we've gotten those as well. Yeah, every, I mean, that's capitalism. You're going to have, you're going to win them. You're going to lose them. And it's just every, about what they, what they want, what they don't want. At the end of the day, you know, deep in your soul that even though there's always this internal struggle between the agent and the broker, and I know because I was an agent for years and a broker, yeah. that when I, when I was an agent, I always felt like my broker was pissed that I was making so much more money than him. And, <laughs> and, 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 uh, and, and I think that's natural, right? But at the end of the day, what I didn't realize, which I realized today, was, was he was making dirt, right? He was pissed. Because yeah. because of that, and, and I didn't get the fact that he was pissing and appreciate, at, there was one moment in time I didn't appreciate uh, what I was getting, and he almost fired me. Thank God he didn't. But now looking back on it, I think to myself, yeah, brokers don't make anything. You know what I mean? Agents should appreciate them more. I, listen, I think that different business models work for different agents. And, and you know the thing about a broker that becomes tough is that you have to be intelligent about how you set your, what do you want to be? Do you want to be a broker that has a high, that is a fee-based broker that has very high splits and then you make it up on fees and you cut back on services? Do you want to be a full service broker? Do you want to be some, I mean, I consider our company somewhere of a hybrid that we provide, uh, I think a pretty high level of service, probably higher than anybody in our local market. Um, but our splits are relatively competitive with, the, are pretty competitive to companies that, have cap company dollar and stuff like that, that we're, we've kept knock on wood. Um, you know, the vast majority of the people that were with us five years ago are still with us. Um, even with the changes in the industry, because of the fact that we've managed to skinny down, raise splits while still maintaining a viable business, um, by getting rid of the services that they don't value, that they don't need. Um, it kind of and, goes back to that triangle that you talked about at the beginning, the cheap, yeah. good and fast. Keep getting fast. If you can get at least get two out of three, I may not be the cheapest, but I'm the fastest and I'm the best in terms of you know the services I give to my agents. Um, and I think that's an important point. I think that you know you just need listen. I I I've been part of different networking groups in the industry, and I've sat down with brokers and we've exchanged financials and we've looked at financials. And there are brokers that make money with all sorts of different types of business models, different types of revenue models that they work. But they're if they're smart brokers, they can make it work. I think what 
is going to happen in this industry over the next five years is that the strong will survive. I think there will be a leavening of agents that will be pushed out of the business and brokers that will be pushed out of the business, either through going out of business or being acquired because they can't compete on their, on their business model anymore. Um, you need to get bigger in a lot of cases for your business model to work. You know, sometimes the business model doesn't work if you're making a minimal amount on each agent, but you can make it work if you have a, you know, 2000 agents, you know, if you make a little bit on each agent, you have a thousand agents, you can make it work. If you're small, you need to make a lot off each agent or you have to be a producer yourself. And that's what a lot of, a lot of small brokers are basically agent teams uh, or a broker producing team that make money right. that way. That's, that, that's another viable option that can work as well. Teamerage. Yeah. I mean, if, you know what's on. funny? And I, what's funny is that we talk about agent teams. We've talked about it a couple of times. I think agent teams are, when they're done correctly, they can be really, they can be beautiful. They can be great, both for the broker and for the agent and for the agents who are members of the team. But what's interesting is that you go back in the industry, back to the, before the 1970s, the industry was very different. And basically you had the broker and the broker was like the person. Everybody went to that broker to list their home. There might be three or four of them in town and they had a little office on Main Street and whatnot. And they got more business they can handle. So they got associates and they said, well, I'll give you my runoff business and you'll pay me 50% of what I give you. And that's where the 50-50 came from, was that broker owners who really were salespeople who handed off the extra business. And then the 70s, but, the whole but also they owned the, um, they were more like the Zillow in that, uh, like I can remember I'm really good with numbers, but my first broker I went to in 1987, the phone number was 410-730-6400. That was on every single sign. It wasn't until probably five, probably yeah. 10 years later when cell phones started coming out that I was allowed to have any other phone number on there, but the broker. Yeah, you know what I mean, and the, so the broker had that control. The and broker, cell phones, yeah. cell phones disrupted that. This agent started saying, "Wait a minute!" And then Remax came out and said, "Hey, you guys, come over here. We'll let you put your cell phone on the bottom of the sign." And then people were like, "Oh, really?" You know? Yeah, I mean, well, Remax really. I mean, what really happened in the '70s was the industry completely changed, and it was even before cell phones because Remax, Keller Williams, those all Remax is the mid '70s. Keller Williams was founded in '82. Um, all the big franchises, the whole industry exploded. Do you know that the industry went from about 170 members of NAR in 1970 to about 800, <laughs> 850, went from 170 to 850 in 10 years. It's at one point, 170,000 realtors in 1970 to, eight, to 850. 800, yep. In, wow. in 10 years. And it's gone up what from eight something to 1.2. How many, how many houses, years. how many homeowners like, like, are we building more house? I mean, certainly the population's growing, right? Yeah. More people are yeah. Well, that was part of it. Is the cop we had the baby boomers came of age in the 1970s. They, they all left the communes that they were living in the late 60s, and they had to get a house, so they went <laughs> and they built a house. So that's what, that's what exploded the industry, and that's when agents – was, what I was saying before was that the brokers used to be the control of everything because they were the lead – they were the rainmakers, they were the lead generators, and that's where they got associates to take 50-50. In the 70s, when agents realized that they could generate their own business, they wanted higher splits, and that's where we started the agent-centric era of the business. What I see in real estate teams is I see the teams that are built in a structure where you have the top down, you have the rainmaker, and underneath are all the people working underneath the rainmaker. It's like a pre-1970s broker. That's what they are. They're basically brokerages from the 1970s within a brokerage. And what a lot of teams, I think, are starting to discover is the challenge of running a team, and this is going to be a bigger and bigger challenge as teams become a bigger part of this business, is that 
you start your team and it's great. And you get a couple of associates, you get a couple of team members working with you and you do all the lead generation. You start handing them leads and they're paying you. You're getting paid 90% from your broker and you're giving 50% to the agent. Yep, that all day long. Yep. And you're keeping the rest. Well, those agents that are getting leads, when they get good enough, they start generating business of their own. They don't want to get 50-50 anymore. That's exactly what happened in the 1970s. So there's this evolution that I think teams are going to go through that's going to track the evolution that brokers went through in the 1970s, which is that it's going to be tough to hold on to team their members. profits. Yeah, I, I like where I, I like your thought process because what you're saying is that their profits are going to dissipate, right? They're suddenly where these 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 some of some of these teams are just killing it cash wise. They're just making tons of money. Yeah. Um. But as as what you're saying is the same evolution is going to happen. All of a sudden, teams are going to be looking at it like brokers look at it now, making five to ten or three percent uh, on out of a hundred and be like, damn. You'll still have, if you're the rainmaker, you'll still be able to, you know, you'll do your business and the business you hand out, you'll still get a big split of. But if you have agents working on your team who are doing their own lead generation, they're not going to be, comf they're not going to be happy taking 50% from you. They'll go off and go on their own. And, and, then, and this, this, this happens. You, here's, here's how you know this is happening. When that rainmaker starts doing deals again. Yeah, that's right. They start you handling know? business. Wouldn't it be like, oh, this, yeah. this one's my cousin. You know, it happens to be a million and a half dollars and it's my cousin and I'm going to go yeah. do this one myself. Haven't done a deal in 10 years, but I'm going to take this one. Then you know that profits are starting to get tight, you know? Yep. I mean, that's, I mean, think about it. The broker's traditional role was to do lead generation and that really has dissipated. Brokers are not really, it's a very small part of their role now to do lead generation for their agents. The agents do all their own lead generation besides what comes off a company website or through certain company initiatives. We do a lot of lead generation for our agents as part of our value package, uh, but they still do probably most of the lead generation on their own. Um, but so, you know, if that gets taken over by the team leader who's doing it for their team members because they set up their own little independent brand within the company, that's great. Except that what's going to happen is the better your agents get, that agent starts building up their own book of business, that team member, and they don't, they want to, they want, they want to run their own team. They don't want to be on your team. And that's yeah. where that's a normal issue, but you got to be prepared for that. If you're an agent that you don't, it's tough to keep people more than two or three years if they're good. You know, I mean, I've had, I've had several people on the show that have, that have built big teams and, and, the, and as the profit market margin dissipated, they got rid of all their agents and, and just sent referrals to people within the company, 25, 30% referrals on all the yeah. buyers and just kept all the listings themselves. And their profit margin shot through the roof just because, you know, you can make a good profit on a listing, right? Especially if it's somebody that you know. Um, and uh, you can make a good profit. Obviously, if you give somebody a 25% referral fee, that's 100% of the 25 that you get. So it's pure profit. You know what I mean? Yeah, if they, that's they right. Work the buyer and sell it. It, you know, it's what, when, when I go to these conferences and I hear, I, I see presentations about agent teams and the challenges of managing an agent team, it's the same exact thing that brokers have because they have to recruit to the team. They have to manage the team. What, what team leaders sometimes miss is that once you have a team, you know, you're, you're basically a mini broker and you have the responsibilities. You got to recruit the right people. You got to manage the people. You got to keep them motivated. You have to help them with their transactions. That's what a broker does. That's why I think a lot of teams do don't go off on their own because at least if they're within a strong brokerage, they can off they can offshore delegate out some of those managerial responsibilities to the manager of their office and say, listen, you have to manage the people on my team as well as you know managing all the other agents because all I want to do is rain make. I just want to make rain. I want to get leads and I want to hand them out. And I want to handle some of them myself, but I don't want to have to 
help this agent with their deal problems, you know? It's also easier to contract. Yeah. You know, you can expand. If you're, let's say, because I've had several agents on recently. Let's say you're at, you know, Better Homes and Gardens and you have a team and it's a big team and um, you leave and go out on your own and you're Joe Blow Real Estate. When you come to contract, it's a disaster. But if you stay at Better Homes and Gardens and you can contract, you could be like, hey, you know, why don't you go be an agent in the pool? I don't need you here anymore. And by the way, broker, I want to move down to a single office from a triple. And by the way, you know what I mean? I want to go start doing deals again. You can contract in 30 days. But if you sign a seven-year lease. Yeah, forget that. Man, you're in trouble. That's right. It's very easy to go to your broker and say, listen, I want to move out of my office next month and get to a smaller space that's cheaper. You can't do that with a landlord. You can't go to the landlord and say, I'm going to be out, in Jan- I'm going to be out January 1. Uh, is that okay? It's not okay. And, and you, and you, can, you, you can fire have- everybody and start taking all the calls yourself. But if you have an office or whatever, you're going you're gonna to constantly um, try to remove – and I know because I've been there myself uh, personally. Uh, uh, you're going to constantly try to remove water from the boat uh, in – by keeping employees, keeping agents, trying to, you know, make it how it used to be uh, while still maintaining these expenses, where if you're at a brokerage, you could just bail, right? You could yeah. be like, I'll screw it yeah. after. Well, uh, I could always build up later. You can also say, you know what? I think I'm going to take the summer off. I'll come back and I'll start working. I'll refer all my leads for the summer. I'm going to take the summer off. You can't do that if you're running a brokerage. Um, you know, you have, you, have to, you have to maintain the day-to-day management. And I think that's, listen, I, I mean, that's why I think a lot of these teams stay with brokers because they, they don't want to take on that responsibility because, you know, we've had a lot of success, for example, with agent, with people that were basically maybe not thought of as team leaders. They had brokerages, but their brokerage, they were a big producer at their brokerage, maybe the top producer at their brokerage. And they've joined us. And like one of them, I'm thinking off the top of my head, he went from doing about 250000 His whole company was about 600000 He's now doing eight hundred. By himself, much less the agents that were with him that we now have. He got paid on his brokerage, and now he's also making a lot more money because he was being held back by all the time he was spending dealing with the nonsense that I deal with every day as a broker. He just wanted to sell. He wanted to, you know, do rainmake and things like that. But he was bogged down by oh, the the printer broke down again today. Well, that's two hours of your life the printer breaks down. You know, my company printer breaks down. He just complains about it, and then someone else handles it. It's like uh, <laughs> a much better deal. Um, and so he's, you know, we have three or four people like that who are doing much better financially having sold their company and focusing entirely on sales than when they were trying to run a brokerage while they sold, you know, because running a brokerage or running a team is like a full-time job. Selling is a full-time job. So you can do one or the other, but it's very difficult to do both. I think it really is difficult to do both. Yeah, no, no. You know, Joe, this has been, this has been an incredible conversation. I'm going to, um, uh, I could go all day about this stuff. I really appreciate you being candid. Uh, you answered a lot of questions that uh, I didn't think you'd answer in the way that you did. And I think it was because <laughs> you're just being honest. You know, you're like, hey, you know, I, I thought it was a challenging question. You were going to go a certain way and you went a different way. And I love that uh, about conversations. So, so listen, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a copy of Disruptors, Discounters, and Doubters, guys. I'm going to put the link, right? So you guys can buy this online on uh, hybendigital.com backslash Joe Rand. That's hybendigital.com backslash Joe Rand. And everything we talked about, I'm going to put in the show notes so you can follow up there. I'm going to put all of Joe's information. You guys are welcome to reach out to him. Let him know you enjoyed the show and thank him for coming on. 
Um, as you know, Joe, everybody that comes on brings a free gift uh, yep. to give to all our listeners. What gift are you going to bring today? I would love to give everybody a free a free book, but then you tell me how many thousands of people actually give <laughs> away <laughs> that many books. Uh, that would be prohibitively expensive. Yeah. But we talked about the value presentation. Um, my company just went through the process of redoing our entire listing presentation. And we created something we call the journey, which is like this pathway that shows all the different things that the, the services the agent provides all the way from first consultation to final closing. Um, and you can get that. We, we, we visualized that piece. And I think I, I gave you a picture, a picture, photo, whatever, of that put up to see if they questions about it, they will come to me. They're, they're welcome to reach out to me about it. But, you know, it's something I put out there if they want to make a, you know, create their own version of it. You know, if it inspires them, I'm, I'm very happy about that. You know, we want to awesome. share this information as much as possible. And, and guys, if that was interrupted a little bit um, because of poor internet, what he said was basically his incredible uh, listing book that his agents use. And uh, everybody that, that downloads that book is welcome to customize it. He, you have his permission to customize it and uh, put your logo on it and use it as you see fit. Well, Joe, thank you so much uh, for your contribution to the industry. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. And I, if I'm ever up that part of New York, wherever that is, yeah, it's a real pleasure. I really enjoyed being with you. You're, you're, uh, you're great at this, and I enjoyed our conversation a lot. This episode is brought to you in full by Rebus University, the future of real estate training. Go now to www.rebusuniversity.com and use the coupon code ROCK for 20% off your first course. Double your commissions now with Rebus University. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Rockstars. Please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you may be listening. If you haven't already, please give us a review. I don't care whether it's a one-star review or a five-star review. We eat feedback for breakfast, and we need your reviews. Also, the more reviews we get, the better our guests become. Thanks again for listening, and find me on social media simply by typing in my name. I'm Pat Hyben, and keep rocking. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.